Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. This is The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Are you a fully grown adult who, as soon as you step through the door of your family home, turns back into the teenage version of yourself, reacting in the same way to the same triggers from the same members of the family that you've been doing forever? It's a real thing. The family dynamics so set in stone through our formative years that even well into adulthood, you can find yourself saying things back to a parent or sibling that you would never say to a friend or partner in your day-to-day life. Today, we're looking at why we do this and how we navigate playing a different role in a reality show that has been edited for you to always be that member of the family. But first, a news headlines for Friday, December 22. A recently freed detainee has been granted a new visa without the clause making him wear an ankle monitor or adhere to curfew conditions after challenging the government's powers in the High Court. The man who escaped violence in Sudan with his family to Australia was among around 150 detainees who were released after the High Court ruled that indefinite detention was unlawful. He was then subject to a daily 10pm to 6am curfew and required to wear an ankle monitor in hastily pushed through legislation by the Albanese government. The man had served time in Australian prisons for various crimes before being sent to Christmas Island for seven years. The justice overseeing the Bruce Lerman defamation case has promised to write up the judgment as soon as possible as the trial enters its final day today. Lerman is seeking damages from Network 10 and journalist Lisa Wilkinson over the 2021 report on the project where they interviewed Brittany Higgins about her allegedly being sexually assaulted by a colleague in Parliament House. Lerman claims his reputation was ruined despite the report not naming him. Network 10 lawyers arguing in their closing statement that Lerman had made so many lies over the alleged incident that his account of what happened should be roundly rejected. If Mr Lerman succeeds in proving he was identifiable, Network Work 10 argues they can prove the rape occurred in Parliament House. They're also pursuing a qualified privilege defence where they have to prove that even if the material is defamatory, they acted reasonably in publishing something in the public interest. A gunman has taken the lives of 10 people and seriously wounded 11 others at a university in Prague. Those who work and study inside the building had been emailed and told to stay inside, lock the doors to offices and place furniture in front of the doors before turning off the lights. One person posted a photo on social media showing a group of students hiding by crouching on the ledge of the building. The shooter was located by police and, in their words, eliminated. 
A report published by the UN-backed Integrated Food Security Phase Classification has revealed that the entire 2.3 million population of Gaza is facing crisis levels of hunger and the risk of famine is increasing daily. The humanitarian situation in Gaza has deteriorated rapidly since Israel began a major military operation on October 7 in response to a deadly terror attack by Hamas on Israeli citizens. Heavy airstrikes laying waste to wide areas of the enclave. Trucks bringing aid from Egypt have delivered some food, water and medicine, but the UN says the quantity of food is just 10% of what is needed, the risk of famine increasing every day that hostilities continue. Prince William's cousin-in-law has revealed a fun nickname they have for the royal, who apparently is not a big drinker. Mike Tyndall, the former rugby-playing husband of William's cousin Zara Tyndall, appeared alongside his wife on the Seven Rob Burrow podcast when they were asked if they have any pet names for each other. After revealing they refer to each other as Munchkin, Tyndall then revealed that they call the prince One Pint Willie because he's a bit of a lightweight when it comes to drinking alcohol. Zara Tyndall joked that her husband would now be in a lot of trouble for revealing the prince's secret. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Heading home for Christmas can be chock full of so many different emotions. It can be really exciting, so comforting and soul recharging when you're around those who love you unconditionally. It may also be the longest stretch of time you'll spend with your relatives compared to the rest of the year and could bring you into contact with relatives who you don't really vibe with. It may also bring up not so great memories from your past. For some, this time of year may be one of sadness, longing for those who are no longer with us or for the family we wished we had. For those who are estranged, it can be a mix of happiness and anxiety as they navigate family invitations that may bring them into contact with someone they've tried very hard to avoid. And for adult children, returning to their parents' home for the holidays can cause an otherwise grown-up, independent human to regress into behaving like the teenage version of themselves. According to experts, quite a large number of us experience this regression, which can switch on as soon as you walk across the threshold of your parents' home. It can happen to someone who's just left the nest and who's struggling to make it in the adult world. But it can also happen to someone who hasn't lived at home for decades and who has established a very successful career and family of their own. It doesn't seem to matter your circumstance, because the roles we have within our family structure can override it all. Parents are going to parent, and their children will naturally fall into the roles they established during their formative years, and it can be very hard to break free from it. Having your siblings around also reportedly makes it worse. Even if you're incredibly self-aware and can see yourself doing or saying things that usual you out in the real world would never be doing, it can still be difficult to rein it in. 
Elizabeth Shaw is the CEO of Relationships Australia New South Wales and is a practising clinical and counselling psychologist. Elizabeth, why does this happen that 20, 30, 40-year-old us can confidently and competently live our lives day to day, only to become 14-year-old, cranky, reactive us as soon as we arrive home? It's so extraordinary, isn't it, this happens. And of course, in some ways, it starts out for some good reasons in that the best of our growing up years often provides us with a lovely warm glow. You know, there's a nostalgia and some good times in all of that. And so I think, you know, turning up and kind of longing for the sort of basking in your parents' care, you know, the times that you got on with your siblings, the things you used to do, the board games you used to play, whatever it was, there's something about harking back to the past that can be good. And parents can do the same because parents often long for the time when they've just got their kids back. You know, I I often have parents say to me, oh, it was just the four of us again and no partners were there and no grandchildren. It was lovely just to reassemble the family. So there is something about that that's a draw card and is lovely. But there's something, as you say, that, you know, you could be in the car on the way there as a 40-year-old self and then and then slowly slide. So it's, it may start for some sort of nostalgic reasons. But then I think the forces at work are in many ways sort of quite varied. So some of it is actually people forgetting, you know, like a literal forgetfulness because those early years get quite sort of baked in. Some of it is because we all trigger each other that, you know, we might make the comment that we always made growing up and that sets off the chain reaction or vice versa. It could be because parents are hierarchically in charge of the event. So they're often saying, set the table, can you carry this to the table, just like they did in your childhood. So sometimes it's just actually all of those little tiny moments that uh, start to recreate something. But probably the final piece is that sometimes family members are coming together and they're just not caught up with each other. So it may well be that, you know, you've got family members saying, you know, aren't you married yet? Partly because they just haven't got the details. They ask you the bigger questions the longer the afternoon goes on. And that can also strip you bare. It can make you feel a bit vulnerable as people do ask the outrageous questions that families feel they can get away with. And that can also be quite a trigger into sort of past times that were less happy. Can we talk about the evolution of your relationship with your parents from being that parent-child to both being adults? Because I know I've seen some people who have great adult relationships with their parents where it's evolved out of their childhood There are other people I see who really have never evolved into an adult relationship with their parents and who are still very much perceived as a child by their parents. Or in my case, for example, I feel like with one parent I've evolved into an adult relationship but not with the other. Why do we sometimes find it difficult to become an adult with our parents? It takes work on both sides though, doesn't it? I mean, it is really interesting that these things happen and often it is if even during your adolescence you've just got something in common that might be an interest you share. So it may be that the two of you are always the one who's sat up late and watched vampire movies and so you've got an interest that carries you into adult years or you start to develop a routine or a ritual. You know, mum and I 
always take grandma shopping and we always have. Those sorts of things, that often is the beginning of something that you can then build on. I think if you see people reasonably regularly around those sort of events and and interests, you've also got reason to, in a very granular way, catch them up on what your life is like and, and tune them into how you've evolved and grown up. People that remain in a fairly formal relationship that we, you know, we we go for Sunday night dinner and there's something about that whole tableau which is really just creating the family meal you might have had in childhood. It can it can be a little bit more formal. And while you've kept a lovely connection going and you're regularly in touch, you may not really be setting the scene for a different sort of relationship. You know, I think it is about everybody working at it. Parents can get very stuck in the role of, gee, my children don't visit me. You know, they can get very passive around, well, my children don't seem to want to spend time with me. I think it can be hard for parents to ring up and say, do you want to hang out? Because they're in some ways being respectful and thinking, oh, the kids have their own life. But sometimes, you know, there are parents who feel a bit owed and entitled, which doesn't go well at all. And equally, you know, for the adult kids, you do get busy with your own life. You've got to make a decision about having your parents in your social circle is something that you would want and enjoy and go to the trouble of influencing it in the direction that you'd like it to go. What about changing the dynamic with some family members when it feels like they refuse to allow you to change into the person that you currently are? So, for example, with siblings, there's situations, I mean, even with me personally, where you go into a situation with your siblings and they will always treat you like wherever you are in the sibling lineup. So, you know, they'll tell stories about things you did when you were a kid and how you can never get past certain things that happened in your childhood. And, you know, they they seem to have packaged you into who this person is. And if you want to change that, it feels almost impossible because they want to keep you in the past as the person you were. How do you break free from that? Well, again, there's often something lovely about it. You know, the family stories where people recount that I think if there's a sting in it for you, you can feel like, well, that was a hidden message to stay in my box. It it may be that. It may be just kind of uh, recounting those stories is is also a way of just reminding everybody of the longevity and the and the adventures of relationships over time. But you know, as I say, it really depends on the intent and what you feel is coming at you. Sometimes what catches us up is we feel the sort of insult in it. So say you've got an older sibling who always seems to want to remind you that they're in charge. And so you can feel like, well, I'm insulted by that. I can't grow past that. I'm being patronised. I think sometimes saying, well, what if it's not about me? Maybe this is something my older sibling needs. You know, maybe it's an insecurity on their part maybe being the older sibling is both a burden and a pleasure for them. You know, maybe in some ways they want me to be looking up to them. I think if you can start to have room for the other's perspective and to think, well, I wonder what their experience was in that role and what is it about, you know, reminding me of that role that's important to them and look at it in a sort of more compassionate understanding about both of you rather than feeling that, sort of childlike reaction, which is they're doing it again and they're trying to put me down. Maybe they are, but maybe they're not necessarily. Maybe this is something going on for them. But because I think if you can hold the compassion for you both and know that part of it is 
just the habits. It doesn't have to have the meaning. It may have the meaning, but it may not. But sort of finally, sometimes we have to stop and be brave enough to just call it out. And again, not in a negative way, but it may be that you stop and say, look, what was it like for you being the older child in the family or or the younger child or whatever it is? What was you know, what was it like? So call out the bigger question. Or, you know, sometimes when you tell that story, you know, I feel like you're kind of putting me back in my box and doesn't always feel good. And I I hope you know that I'm better than that now, or I hope you, and you could say it in perhaps a a, a boundary, but also a bit of a teasing way, because sometimes these stories are told in quite a thoughtless way, almost like the rituals of what we do when we get together, we tell old stories. And some families get caught up in old stories because they just haven't developed enough new and current stories to tell instead. We're being told not to beat ourselves up too much if we do end up falling back into those family dynamics again this year. We have been very conditioned to play our role and not performing it can often be more difficult than falling into the same old routine. Elizabeth says the best way to help yourself navigate away from teenage you at Christmas is to step away and reset. Well, this is the only power that we have, isn't it, to control ourselves. So sometimes the mistake we make is we spend all the time picturing what other people are going to do and what we're going to do to, you know, fire a missile back. I think instead to focus on you know, what sort of best self do I want to be? How would I like to see myself carry this off? What are the kind of trigger points that I might have? Are there ways that perhaps I could carry this off differently to last year? The things that are most predictable, say you've got an uncle who always starts the same argument, the things that are predictable, they're the ones that we should have the most skills to manage because it could be, oh, and when he starts this year, this year I'm going to laugh it off or I'm going to distract or I'm going to say, oh, I'm not going down that track this year. You know, that you you think of something that's light, you get in early and move the conversation on. And the goal is not how do I manage my uncle? The, the goal is how do I manage myself? The other thing is to try and think well of the family that you're going to see. Like instead of walking into a viper's nest, think about what do I like about these people? Which little bits or maybe which big bits am I looking forward to that I can just not lose sight of? Whatever else happens, I can hold on to those as my anchor points. You know, I always value connecting with mum or I'm always glad to see my cousins. And just make sure that you don't let anything spoil that. And finally, if you do need a really defensive manoeuvre, download an app or something that will ground you and just slip away to the garden or the bathroom or and you know make sure it's short so it might be a three minute meditation or whatever it is the skill in this is to step back and have a circuit breaker so if you go to another room and you ruminate you know how dare they say that and there they go again you'll tend to feel worse and you'll come out still feeling armed up but If you've had a step back and calmed yourself down, or if you talk to someone else there and you say something like, oh, look, I'm really, you know, feeling a bit tired of that interaction or I'm feeling a bit worn down and and then you invite help for you. Whereas if you say, did you see what our uncle did? Um, That can be a comfort, but sometimes it just beats it up. So I think all the strategies are on just how do I leave today and just feel pretty proud of myself? And then whatever has happened doesn't have to fill you with regret. 
Thanks for spending some time with us to feed your mind again today, folks. We have some exciting episodes coming up for you over the next couple of weeks, including our wrap-up of the entire of 2023, a little sneak peek behind the scenes, and a collection of experts predicting what's to come in 2024. So stay tuned. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Jacob Round.